And so you can call me or text me or ask questions about that later. Well, for us, we, we've been in this journey in 2020 of really becoming a people or, or contending and believing to become a people of prayer who live an altar lifestyle, who build um, habits and practices, not just on occasion, but in our daily life where we're regularly looking to Jesus. We're, 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 we're wanting to grow in the awareness of how much he desires relationship with us. And so as we think about this Lenten season, this journey from now, from last Wednesday, all the way through the empty tomb resurrection, um, I just was thinking about what can we do that's memorable over these next few weeks as a family. And so I um, thought of a series called Clearing the Clutter. A journey with Jesus to the cross and resurrection life. And, and how many would just say, before you even hear the punchline of the series, that you're already sort of tracking, there's probably some clutter that God could clear inside of you, around you, on this journey uh, called Lent. Uh, and so we want to we lean into that. And really the, the inspiration behind the title, as I was living in Mark's gospel, and there's a scene where Jesus shows up to the temple. And it says this, he, he reached the Jerusalem, he entered the temple, and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of money, ch- changers and benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, read this with me, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, man, if Jesus, as he was a man on the earth, goes to the hotbed of, of, his, of the culture of his day, of sort of the, 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 not just sort of the civic, but the ceremonial, the cultic, the religious center, where all the power, where all the stakeholders of Jerusalem and were there. And he, he has this prophetic act that I'm not gonna preach on this passage yet. I'm saving it for a few weeks, but this is the inspiration for the series. But he rolls up to the temple and he's gotta clear some clutter. He's got to clear some things that man has erected and, 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 and brought into places that are God's. And Jesus is really zealous for his house. He's really zealous. He's really, he's really, really zealous. He, and his passion doesn't fly off of some tirade, uh, misguided um, zeal. It's passion rooted in his very nature. His good nature. And so, so he rolls up, and then just so you know, okay, clear the clutter, house of prayer, temple, how's the connect to me? Well, Paul tells us, don't you yourselves know that you're God's temple? <laughs> so you're thinking, okay, that was 2,000 years ago in some building that doesn't even exist on the Temple Mount now. You're right. It was a prophetic act, and Jesus always wants to come to his temple and says, where's the clutter? I want to clear it, not because I'm mean, but because I'm obscenely good. I'm more good than you can imagine, and when you have clutter in your life, when there's things occupying, occupying territory on the inside of you that are blocking the flow of his love and grace, he is zealous about that. He doesn't look at our clutter and go, oh, I hope they figure it out. He is zealous about that clutter. So that's the, the big idea. 
The big idea is all kinds of stuff clutters the line of communication and connection between us and God. Say us and God. Between us and others. Even between us and our true self being fully alive in Christ. Does that bear witness to anybody? So a lot of times there's clutter. There's, there's, there's junk, gunk stuff that static on the airwaves. And this Lenten season is all about welcoming King Jesus onto the premises and saying, clear whatever needs to be cleared so that what you want for me, for your church, for your world, you, Lord, can find someone in me that you can have your way, your will, and your purposes accomplished in and through for your glory and my good. So it's the season. Come on, say it with me. It's a season to clear the clutter. Some of you are already thinking, man, I own four storage units. Not that kind of clutter. Maybe there is some of that kind of clutter. But our first stop, and you guessed it if you've been under our ministry for any amount of time, our first stop, the first place he wants to clear some clutter. He wants to clear the clutter of the heart. How many believe he wants to clear the clutter of the heart first? Before any actions or attitudes or things you're doing right now, the Lord's always most interested on what's going on in here. And he said this again in Mark's gospel, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, not you, obviously, other people. As it is written, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. And what I want you to know, and this is just Jesus 101, no amount of external regulation, stipulations, law, or religious service or busyness can ultimately crack the shell of your heart and clear it of its clutter. Agree or disagree? Who's tried and miserably failed by doing it your way instead of his? And then Jesus goes on and says this, that, that, listen to me, all of you, and understand this, there's nothing outside a person that by going in them can defile. It's the things that come out which are what defile. We must understand always God is operating from a heart dynamic first. This is who he is and how he operates. Now, does God, okay, why? Read this passage with me. He said, it's what comes out of a person that defiles. For it's from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, great list, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So the Pharisees want to have a conversation about external regulations. The Sadducees want to argue about nuances of the law. Herod just wants Jesus to do a miracle because he's wowed by the outward, the flash, the boom. Pilate's just trying to keep the peace because he's the governor over the area. But Jesus wants to have a talk about the heart. He's just always going back there. And Lent, this season, in the, in the Jesus fast, and the, the, you know, the Lenten season is such a great season to say, Lord, come Holy Spirit and clear the clutter. 
right? What did David pray in Psalm 139? Search me and know me. Now, what, what, what are some common conditions of the heart? A heart can be foolish. How many of you have ever fallen under, uh, how many have ever experienced a foolish heart? The fool says in this heart, there is no God. You may say, I'm not an atheist, but how many of us live like functional atheists, believing he's God, but then being riddled with worry and thinking it's all dependent on us? Okay, so a heart can be foolish. What else? A heart can be deceitful. Deceitful. Now, in a culture that has all but tried to eradicate language of sin, we've had to invent a whole bunch of terms, but at the end of the day, it's deceit. And it's so interesting when you hear public figures, even those who would not espouse any sort of relationship with God, when they use language like evil, they're appealing to a higher court and reality than what is culturally acceptable. Because there are some things in this world that, that we see on the newsreel, or maybe that's been done to you, they're not just, oh, they're just expressing their true self. Some things are deceitful, wicked, and evil. They just are. However unpolitically correct it is. It goes on. What else can a heart be? A heart can be darkened. It can be separated, and it can be hardened. Man, I, I remember seasons growing up as a young man, just seasons of hardened hearts stink. Can I get an amen? When you know the way, but you're like, nah. And it's just this crusty, crunchy, dry, desolate. Ugh. I'm not going back there. I don't know about you. I'm not going back there. A heart can also be divided. Oh, no one's ever suffered from this one. If the psalmist prays for an undivided heart, the implication is that many times we have a divided heart. Come on. That applies to many, many believers in this room probably. Like, I want what God wants, but when it comes to this little part, when, this, little, this little piggy went to the market. Anyway, I just a little sliver for me, God, right? So our hearts are divided right? This is why the remedy of a divided or double mind or heart is God giving us a pure heart. Soren Kierkegaard, the great theologian, said purity of heart is to will one thing. One thing. And then also, lastly, you, you can have an unbelieving heart. Again, no one's ever fallen prey to this condition of the heart. An unbelieving heart, where we know the promises, we know God's track record, we know his history of coming through, we know, but for this circumstance, God's checked out and I'm left to fend for myself. He can't just deliver us from Egypt and then deliver on his promise to give us a land. No, he's, he brought us to the wilderness, so we'll die. Come on, how many have ever struggled with an unbelieving heart? This is why the writer of Hebrews is just relentless. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. If we lose faith in God, what else do we have faith in? That was a good one right there. If we lose faith in him, where else do we turn? So in essence, what I'm trying to say, part one here, is that the heart really, really matters. All in favor, say aye. Aye. In fact, when, when God had, had big, contrary to what his great hope was for Israel, when they asked for a king, they gave him Saul. Saul was a massive failure. Spirit departs from him. He goes insane in his brain and his mind. Just read 1 Samuel. And then when he's about to 
name and anoint Saul's successor, King 2.0. Here's what it says. Read it with me. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So here's the reality, if we're honest with each other, because the Bible says Saul was head and shoulders above all, all other men. He was a man, a big man, big dog. Turn to your neighbor and say, he was a big dog, the original big dog. And here's the thing, because we think God is like us, we're all trying to be Saul in the eyes of God. Part of an unbelieving heart, it, the symptom of an unbelieving heart is I have to perform, do certain things, look a certain way before God and people for God to accept me. And we're going the way of Saul instead of the way of God. Amen. And so we think it's about being head and shoulders above the rest. For we're first in class, most likely to seek, most beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. You have to hear me. They just do not get you into the door of God's kingdom. These are not the things that God says, perfect, they qualify me to choose you for myself in love and relationship and my purposes. And so, so much of our exhausted energy, what if it was reallocated to just say, God, what is it that please you? I want to give all of my energy and effort to go after that instead of trying to make myself something that you, that, that's hopefully you'll love when he already loves us at our lowest. And so anyway, they asked for a king. God gave them Saul for 40 years, and he had removed him. David, and he made David their king. And here's the testimony. Read it with me. I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart who will carry out all my wishes. Are you telling me that the, what else does God need or want? He has Everything. So what else does he want? He doesn't need, God, are you impressed? He, ha he can speak. And <laughs> he wants this. The, this is why he's so blown away. All of the, you know, the seven sons, like, the big, tall, the handsome, you know, Jesse's sons. Nope, not him. Samuel's like, that's definitely the guy. He looks like Saul. Nope. His own dad is like, he, David is not qualified for your purposes. Why, I, don't even, I didn't even bother to call him in from the sheep field. And the Lord's like, I look for things that people do not look for. But what I look for and think is what matters most. I'm looking for someone after my own heart. How many believe he's always looking for someone after his own heart? This should liberate us like from our fear of never measuring up, of competition, of comparison, because anyone in this room, by the grace of God, can have a heart that is after God and that pleases him. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Every person. Yeah. And so you say, Chad, if it's all about the heart, doesn't God care about my performance, about how I live, the fruit of my life? Yes. When they're in sync with what's true on the inside. But doesn't God care? He, doesn't he care about the fruit? And if I got, I got to do good stuff, don't I? Yeah. When it's flowing from an inner reality that's been touched by the grace and power of God. Yes, it moves his heart. It totally matters when it's in sync with the aim of your life, the trajectory that you're on, the path that you're running in.
or walking in, or crawling, or maybe you're in a season of just standing. That's sufficient as long as you're on his path. Come on. Someone in this, this room is in a season of standing, and the Lord's like, that's perfect. Just stay with me. Yes, <laughs> stay with me. I'll stay with you. Amen. And this is really good news, because King David, the man after God's heart, had I just, I could have added more minis. There's like 10. Many, many, many terrible performances and sins. Amen. Amen. Things like adultery, deceit, cover up, murder, hypocrisy. Anyone feeling good about themselves right now? Like, <laughs> that's the guy after God's heart. I'm good. <laughs> Pride. I want to preach 2 Samuel 11 through 12 so bad I can't. But it's all the backstory to what we're going to actually preach here in a minute. This is all intro. Which is half the message, so don't freak out. Give me a break. God, it's 11. The, oh my goodness, that's the guy after your heart? He, he kills, he adulterates, he's deceitful, he tries to get your right to get drunk to sleep with his wife so it's not proof that it's his kid. Then he murders him and he covers it up. Hypocrisy, prophet confronts him. Why does a guy who owns a million sheep try to get the guy who only owns one sheep, sheep? And David, without even knowing, he's, Nathan's talking about him. Kill that guy. Who acts that way? Nathan's like, you're that guy. Shoot, and how many know other, how many know our sin always looks worse, more worthy of judgment on other people than ourselves? It always looks worse. I hate that. I hate that. Every time I see someone texting, I'm like, those sinners. And I'm like, Shh. when they're driving, when they're driving, not right now. Uh, no. And then like 30 seconds later, I'm checking the score and I'm like, no, it looks worse on others. Come on, you know I'm right. Yet, at the same time, and is he crazy, schizophrenic? Maybe, read the Psalms. But he can pray, Lord, I delight to do your will. Oh God, your law is within my heart. So what gives? We're gonna walk through, I mean, I've, this Psalm has lit me on fire. We're just going to walk through, I'm going to argue, the greatest, most glorious display of repentance in history. The dynamics that David articulates after his sin's been found out, and he confesses it to the prophet, and he, he fasts, he, he rends his heart. He, we're just going to go line upon line, and it's going to be quick. I don't have this, seriously, we're halfway and, and I want to I say that the, the beauty of see, like the season of Lent, like a season of fasting and preparation for, for Holy Week and the cross and the, that silent Saturday when we're longing if our, heart, our hopes, if we put our chips on the wrong man. And then when, when life breaks out of that empty tomb on Sunday, this whole 40-day journey, you see... For so many of us, we, we think of repentance or confession or clearing the clutter in negative terms. But guys, we repent so that we can experience the life the way God designed and destined. We don't just navel gaze and think about how terrible we are so because somehow that makes God happy. If you're, I'm a, 
as a dad who is so far from perfect, why would I want my kids living with a greater reality of their brokenness of sin when they could live out of the greater, more superior reality of God's grace and favor and love that has conquered sin and made provision for it? So when we talk about this repentance in this psalm, man, get it on the edge of your seat and lean in with me. So the first step towards clearing the clutter of your heart, whatever its condition, is through Psalm 51. There's many other passages about confession and repentance, but this is just the best one. I don't know. It's like my favorite. So can we go through it together? All in favor, say aye. aye. And so it starts like this. This, this David, have Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. All forgiveness, cleansing, and washing are totally dependent on the love and mercy of God. No, you don't understand. It's not how your day was. It's not how your performance was. It's not on how much is in your bank account or what school you graduated from. It's not how many followers you have on Instagram. All forgiveness, washing, and cleansing when it comes to our sinfulness is totally dependent upon the nature and character of God. This is really good news. When the Lord revealed his name to Moses, here's what he said. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. When David is aware of his sinfulness and the clutter in his life because of his own dumb, stupid choices, He does not appeal to his track record or his past. He gets his eyes on the mercy and covenant love of God. And so step one towards clearing the clutter is not to get stuck here. It's to be honest about here, but then to say, God, have mercy. It's to appeal to a higher court than your performance to the very character and nature of God. This is why the psalmist says, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. How many are thankful for the mercy of God today? This Lenten season is a long season. Yes, where we we grow aware of our sin and of the separation and how we're not in step with Jesus. But we are met every step with the mercy and loving kindness of God. And so he says, wash me, blot it out, cleanse me, all of my sin, God. I'm not meant to carry it. So God, I'm appealing to your mercy. Amen. This is step number one. And he goes on to say, my transgressions and sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. God alone, the Bible says, is sovereign and capable to be the one who names evil and good. Can I get an amen? We've talked about that all the time at this church, so you get it. What David illustrates here is that all sin is first and foremost an affront to God, his law, his nature, and his character. 
So sin is never just a side issue. It's an issue that revolves around worship, what you love, and what you give ultimate allegiance to. Does that make sense? Say amen if that makes sense. David says, against you and you only have I sinned, my transgressions. But what about Bathsheba and certainly Uriah, her husband that David had killed? Didn't his sin affect and impact others? Yes and amen. But first, the first offense is a violation against God first. Now the cruddy thing about sin is that then it does trickle down and hit and affect others around us. But David knows the revelation that his sinfulness was first an affront to who God is. And so we go, he just said he acknowledges it. God, it's always before me. My sinfulness, it's always before me. What did God tell Cain when he wanted to kill his brother and cover it up? He said, sin is like a beast outside of your door. It wants to devour you. David's like, I know my sin's always before me. Ugh. You're right, God, in your, in your verdict and your judgment against my sinfulness. But God's like, you don't have to give in to the beast. Amen. You don't. How do we know that? The scripture goes on. See, we're already we're cruising. We're already almost done. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet, God, you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Faithfulness speaks of covenant commitment to God. Wisdom speaks of integration of his way for all of life. What David articulates here in Psalm 51 is that sin is not just something we dabble in, but it's a nature we possess. David's not like, darn it, God, Bathsheba was a one-off. When I saw a beautiful woman bathing, And I had to have her. No, he's like, God, there was something I was born with. It's filled with passion and pride. And when it's bent towards my own purposes, it kills me and it burns me. But Lord, when you can bend my heart, you want those passions and those longings, desires to find their home in you. But he says, I was sinful at birth. This is how I was made. So so many of us, we, 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 listen, man. It's just true. I have four kids. And they're amazing. I love them. Two of them are in here. They're my favorite. But you do not have to teach a kid to be selfish. Now, here's a lesson on how to hoard your toys when you have 50 and your brother just wants one. Are you ready? Here's how you can be disobedient and not eat your vegetables. Way more than sim, just being a symptom, we have a disease and we need a divine surgeon and healer. David knows that. He's like, God, have mercy on my sins, those outward things I commit. But Lord, there's a greater problem here than just my outward activity. I have a heart that's bent against you toward me and you have got to intervene. Come on, someone say, I need a surgeon. I need a healer. And so he goes on. Oh my gosh, it goes deeper. This is just the best. So wash away, cleanse all my outward stuff. Praise God. God cleanses us from our stupid choices. How many say amen to that? But hey, 
Listen, and praise God, every one of them, anything you've ever done, God's mercy and grace are more powerful in this room than any amount of shame, guilt, or condemnation you may feel because of what you've done. His grace just weighs more. The crippling weight of whatever you've done or done to you and that you've carried over a lifetime or over an hour, it doesn't matter. The grace and mercy and loving kindness of God displayed through his covenant in his son's blood is more powerful than what you carry. But here's what David knows. David knows that Bathsheba was, was an action, an activity that sprang from a heart that, that he knew there was something deeper happening. And listen, this is what Lent's all about. It's to go deep into the heart, not to get lost there, but to see how God's grace can enfold and enrapture us more in his all-encompassing love. And so he goes on, cleanse me with hyssop. Look at that language, cleanse, and I will be clean. Oh, who wants to be clean? <laughs> Wash me and I'll be whiter than slow. S- slow. It's a a San Luis Obispo version. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Look at the language of repentance and cry. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. What does David show us here? Sin is both treason against God as the rightful ruler over his world and my life, and it's a violation of design. Oh my gosh, you may have been born sinful at birth, but you were not made to live a life as a sinner. You have to hear that. It's not just that I sinned and therefore committed treason against the way of God. When I live in a sinful reality, continual, habitual, without regard to God's law, without regard to the grace of Christ, you are not, you're literally not living out of his functional design for all of his creation. It's both treason and violation. You and I were made for God. We bear his image, and he wants his son or daughter back. He wants you. He loves you. David says, cleanse me. Wash me. And so if sin is both treason and a violation of design, this cry for cleansing, this cry for for washing and blotting out is the way back home. God, I want you to make me like you created me to be. He goes on. Hyssop was used in the Old Testament. I'm reading, trying to get through Leviticus. Praise God. No offense if it's your favorite book. I love it. It's in the Bible. Okay, I said it. But hyssop was used to cleanse, to declare lepers, who, which was an infectious disease, that they were clean. So when David prays, cleanse me, he knows his sin, if not dealt with, is infectious. Come on, somebody. So Lord, give me, cleanse me with that hyssop, man. But what else was hyssop used for? I'm going to preach now. Teaching and preaching, all in one. Hyssop was also used to sprinkle blood on the doorpost when God let the angel of death pass over all of Egypt and deliver his people. What does that mean? David is saying, I need both cleansing from the pollution of sin and deliverance from the power of sin. See, the bummer is in this room, I mean, I know some of you are happy and clapping, but if only we knew the seriousness of sin. 
We're so dull. I'm so dull. We're so indifferent to the law and way of God because of the air we breathe culturally and how we were raised. But friends, David is showing us its seriousness and the sobriety of it. But he's also giving us a vision of the goodness and glory and power of God. (laughs) That's why it's my favorite. It's my favorite. All right. I want us to read this one together. This is, this is the pinnacle, man. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Be, wow. Do you see it? This is why it's not just a glorious picture of repentance. God, I'm sorry, forgive me. It's a cry for renewal from the inside out. Come on, how many, how many know we're in a moment where we need renewal from the inside out? We, I need renewal. I want renewal. We need renewal. Because we're born with a sinful nature, the only way, we're sinful at birth, me, my, no, That's my description of sinful nature. Me, mine, and no. (laughs) My clicker's not working. Me, my, no, Justin. (laughs) Just thought I'd give you an illustration. Because we're born with that nature at odds with God, we need to be a new creation from the inside out. Look, you have to hear this. Someone needs to hear this. If you're feeling heavy, some of that might be the Lord. I'm not going to try to belittle the conviction of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Don't want my kids to be scared later. Holy Spirit. (laughs) Ghost, what? Holy Spirit. It's King James. Come on, read that, that second sentence with me. David is not trying to solve his sin dilemma on his own. Come on, somebody. This is an appeal to God. I was sinful at birth. It's always before me. I'm, I'm like a leper. I need cleansing. I need you to speak the word of pardon. I need you to blot out my dirty garment that has a stain deeper than any known detergent that man has ever concocted. I need the mercy of God. I need his power. David is appealing to God himself. God, even though I'm the one responsible for the rift in the relationship, you're the only one that can restore, renew, and reestablish it. Woo! Oh, that's good right there. You're the only one. I, I, it was my fault. But David doesn't stay and like, how I can fix this. He just goes right to the appeal. And this is the beauty of a season of repentance and preparation that we're in. We're not just being sad and fasting in God. No, we're appealing to the one who can do something about our condition. We're appealing to the one who can do something about our family, about our finances, about our relationships, about our nation and the nations of the earth. And he's a God of infinite mercy and compassion and love that knows no bounds and that cannot be stopped. It's like fasting is, oh, I never thought of this. This is the Lord. Fasting is our willful response to open the floodgates of our heart to his love. Because how many know God's always looking for a partner? He's always looking for an amen, looking for an agreement. Okay, hurry up. We're doing so good. I'm like, 
this is great. Just to remind you what he just asked for. Steadfast spirit, presence in the Holy Spirit, joy of salvation, a willing spirit, come on somebody, and that you'd sustain me. You think that's within God's wheelhouse to provide one or any of those things on the list? <laughs> David's like, I get it. Cleanse me, wash me, declare me clean. That ceremonial declaration of a leper. And I get the deliverance from Egypt, the pollution and power. But Lord, what I really need, I need a new heart. That same word create is the same word used in Genesis 1. Bara, it's, it's God's creative power unleashed on the human heart. Oh my gosh. Isn't it something to think of the God of all creation who speaks and then, what about when he speaks into your dark, dull, unbelieving heart? What happens then? Pure, clean, undivided. Who thinks God has creative power, not just to create the cosmos, but to give you a new heart beating on the inside for him? Okay. Hey, man. So this is a great picture. And then what does he do? I'll teach others how to do the same thing. (laughs) Right? How many know what God does in you, he wants to do through you in the lives of those around you? Ooh. I like it. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners. They'll turn back to you. How? Because of what you've done in me, I'm going to teach and tell others that there's a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of unfailing love and power to not just wash and clean, but cleanse and renew and create a new beating heart for him, his law and purposes on the inside. Oh my goodness. Okay, you get it. I just said that. Say this with me. Your story matters. My story matters. What God does in us, he can do in others. Once restored, we declare war on the former way of life, and we do not abuse or misappropriate the grace and mercy of God. David in this prayer is not saying, God, thanks for covering my back on Bathsheba. He's like, God, no more. Cleanse me. I'm going a new way. In this prayer of repentance, and how many want this Lenten season during the next 40 days that he does something so dynamic on the inside of you that you never go back the way you came? That's what David's crying out for. Okay. Oh, gosh. Skip it. It's good. Okay, here we go. Done. We'll read this out loud together and some closing You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. What was it that David brought God in his sinfulness? A thousand goats and rams? perfect track record all of his princely power and governmental rule and authority God this is it this is all I have and God's like perfect it's all I ever wanted 
Because if I can clear the clutter in there, everything else in your life can experience my flow of love, grace, power, provision, whatever's needed. If I have the inside of you in the possession of my loving hands, I can do anything through you, around you, for my glory and your good. How many are thankful for the good news this morning? He... Listen, God's ultimate delight is the offering of our hearts laid bare in their true condition and contrition before the Lord. That's why we sang it today. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. You will not despise my offering. Come on, how many are thankful for that? You may, Chad. Chad, there's so much clutter in my heart. I, you don't even want to know what I watched last night. On, you, you don't even know what, how much I'm afraid of. You, here's my heart, God. What David does, and, I, and, and maybe you're like, gosh, get done. I know. The reason I wanted to do the whole psalm, even though I skipped two verses. I'm just going to read them because I have to do the whole psalm. <laughs> Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. There you go. I don't know. Those are great verses. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I love those verses is David's not just saying, you're the only one who can give me a new heart. He's also the only one who can unlock praise that moves his heart. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that was the point of that And here's where it's going. Here, we have to end. Here's the plane. Because this seems weird. And most commentators think it was a lighter addition, but it's inbounds. It's awesome. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Bowls will be offered on your altar. David's like, you don't delight in sacrifice and offerings, so why this addition? Here's why. Sin is not just have impact for our lives, King David knew that his choices affected the kingdom he ruled over. Come on, how many know that's true? Your choices, be they for God's way and will or for your sinfulness, they affect and impact those around you. Nod your head at me. They just do. They just do. So what, what, what this passage here, Psalm 51 ends, and what many think the post-exilic community a few hundred years later added was this dynamic. The restoration of individual sinners is the precursor to social restoration and renewal. That's so good. No one got it. I, okay, I know it's the, we're done. That's it. Why all this thing about prospering and building up the walls of Jerusalem? Because David knows and everything in church history tells us that revival, when widespread move of God's spirit and repentance happens, it's individuals compounded and multiplied that say, oh my gosh, God wakened a city. So here's the good news for little old us. Look at us in here. If God cleared the clutter of our hearts, we would be on our way to Psalm 51, 18, and 19 when he builds up the walls of this city. Come on. When there's prospering, when, when worship ceases to be just three songs, a poem, a part, you know, dim lights, and I like it in my heart, where worship begins to take on new life because the walls are built, the people's hearts are rent, and God's way is flooding in them and through them, and worship becomes transformative and powerful. 
And it's not just sacrifices and bowls and offerings. It's God's like, no, I'm in the thick of all of that because I have their hearts. So today, I already said hard heart, deceitful heart, darkened heart, all those, and you could feel guilty and sad. But today, in the grace of God, you can have a repentant heart. Come on. Which leads to a new heart and a pure heart. Come on, somebody. Stand on your feet with me. David, I love that prayer. Just go meditate all week on Psalm 51. Memorize it. And here's, the, here's why the heart matters. If I had cherished sin in my heart, help me out. What do you think of when you think of cherish? Oh, I love it. I don't care about God. I just love this. If I cherish, if I treat sin that way, and I don't hear Psalm 51, and I don't hear what the Spirit's saying to me, and I don't think it's a big deal, oh, but I can live how I want when I feel the Lord would not have listened. God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Come on. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. And what David shows us in Psalm 51 is he wasn't trying to get into glory by the skin of his teeth at the lowest common denominator. He's like, no, Lord, created me a pure heart. Wash me, cleanse me of this infectious disease. Change me all the way down on the inside out. Lord, I don't cherish the sin that I did. I want you to rid my heart. Give me a new DNA, a new hunger, a new roadmap, a new way to be your son or daughter today. That's what God wants to do in all of us right now. And it could be a journey for 40 days. You can think about it, pray, and God clear the clutter. But how many just today would say, you know what? I want God, I want a new heart. I want him to give me a pure heart. You know what? Just come on up. I want to, I'm going to come with you and pray. Come on up. You say today, I want a pure heart. And that's how I wanted to end today anyway. You just say, I want God to create in me a clean heart. Don't be shy. I don't want to cherish my sin. I want him to wash me, cleanse me. Let's just all, I'm not facing you, I'm facing up with you, because that's what I want. Just come and do his merciful hands today. And just right where you're at, the word has been clear. Just begin to talk to the Father. And why I love Psalm 51 is David gives us language. If you're like, Chad, I came forward, but I don't know what to pray. Well, pray the Bible back to him. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my iniquity. Wash me of all my sin. Forgive me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me and restore the joy of your salvation.
And right now, just like David, he didn't humdrum it up, just say, I receive a pure heart this morning. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the way forward after this prayer or after this Sunday, Sunday gathering. But Lord, I cry out like David created me a pure heart. Renew that steadfast spirit within me. God, in those areas in our life, if there are areas where we cherish our sin, we pray that in your mercy, you would loose sin's hold over our life. Come on, if that's you, just begin to cry out, Lord, loose the hold of sin over my life. I don't want to dabble in it. I want you to remove. I want you to renew. I want you to create in me a pure heart today. I want to cherish you, the one who cherishes me in his great love. And we just say yes today as a church family. We say yes, we receive the cleansing, the washing, the renewing, the restoration, God. And the Bible says in Acts 15, verse eight, it says that God makes no distinction when we ask for a pure heart, he hears us when we pray in faith. And so right now, just in the simplest terms, say, Lord, I believe that Jesus can give me a pure heart by faith today. That's it. I receive the cleansing and the renewal on the inside. I thank you for this great gift that you've given in Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah. Love you guys.